At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Well, do I like hammer bullets and do I recommend safaris in Africa? <laughs> We're going to find out on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Boy, we are busy, busy around here. We were hunting in Africa recently and we got behind <laughs> and we've got so many questions coming in. We'd like to get to all of them. So I think what we're going to do is start doing two podcasts a week. So you might want to stay tuned for that. We're probably going to try to balance them out around 30 minutes each to a week, and we'll see how that goes. Now, we're going to mix in uh, maybe some of the old stories, some hunting adventure stories. Some of you seem to like those. We'll maybe try a few more of those, and we may come up with a few interviews again. But those all take a lot of time. <laughs> and the way things are rolling right now, we're just going to do questions and answers for a while, see what we can get covered. And as usual, we're going to start with one from one of our patrons. Uh, this is Stanton. And he asked me about hammer bullets. He said, hey, Ron, are you still liking those hammer hunter bullets? I think you mentioned that you wanted to try them on African game. Also, have you tried the new tipped hammer bullets? Recently, I loaded some 166 grain hunters for my 30-06. They shot accurately at a little over 3,000 feet per second with stay ball 6.5. This fall, I hope to see the terminal performance. I hope all is well with you, and God bless. Well, thank you, Stanton. Here's what I wrote back to Stanton. Yes, Stanton, I still like those hammers. In fact, more than ever. I uh, just returned from a hunt with Immenhoff Hunting and Dagaboy Safaris. That's Werner von Seidlitz and David Miller, the PHs, in the Caprivi Strip of Namibia, where I took a cull elephant with a 270-grain shock hammer to the heart. I was rather amazed that that bull began toppling with that high shoulder hit. A follow-up insurance shot from Werner using a 500-grain solid from a 450 Rigby landed about three inches above my shot and finished bringing that bull to the ground. Well, it took 26 villagers four hours to reduce that bull to a wet spot and some undigested grass. They collect and eat everything. Two days prior to this, my good buddy Doug had borrowed my Park West Arms SD-76 rifle and using the same load and bullet, he dropped his bull buffalo with one shot to the chest. That bull loped 40 yards and it collapsed. Last year, friends Tyrell and Clara and my wife Betsy and I used those 270 grain hammers to take two buffalo, a big water buck, and a niala. We used 151 grain and 124 grain hammers in a 300 H&H to take waterbuck, hartebeest, niala, warthog, impala, and common reedbuck, most with one shot. 
The hammers are proving as effective on small, light-skinned game as well as the big, heavy, and tough stuff. And I find that my hand loads go 100 to 200 feet per second faster than the typical top-end powder charges with no excess pressure signs. So far, so good. So let me know how they work for you. <laughs> good, good one there. Yeah, I really am excited about those hammer bullets. I'm just really surprised. I've been using copper bullets since, gosh, I think... 1990 or, so, or the late 80s, probably 1990 when I started shooting the Barnes X bullets. And I've always had great luck with those. And now there are so many different copper bullets on the market. I think I did some research a while back and came up with at least 12 different brands. And now I've just heard from someone in South Africa that they've got one there. Someone from the UK is coming out with one. They're going to try to get me some samples to work with. Lots of exciting things happening with these copper bullets. So, all right, now here's one more um, from Mike. Mike says, I just subscribed to your Patreon channel. Oh, great. I'm glad to have you, Mike. I've been watching and reading your blog the past few months, and I thought it proper that I become a subscriber. Well, that's nice. I appreciate it. Um, I just went on safari to South Africa with my son. Your blog and videos provided a lot of useful information that made the trip a success. Ashley, that is an understatement, as we had the time of our lives. So thank you. I greatly appreciate how you give it straight to your viewers and you avoid the hype. I'm looking forward to enjoying and learning more from your content. Best regards, Mike. Oh, that's a nice letter, Mike. See if I answered Mike. I said, hey, thanks for joining us, Mike. And congratulations on your South Africa hunt. I'm just back from Namibia myself. Friends and I had a delightful time taking memories, photos, and a bull hippo, an elephant, and a buffalo. Planning for next year already. Should be several blogs and videos on that hunt soon. And that is absolutely true. I just finished writing narrations for three different hunts. We're going to put those together and release them here pretty soon on uh, regular Ron Spomer Outdoors YouTube channel. So you might want to watch for those. And I'll be finishing up a blog real quick. It may already be up there by the time you hear this. So uh, lots of photos. We got some great wildlife pictures while we were over there. We picked up lions and leopards and, uh, of course, elephants and buffalo. And uh, it's just a lot of fun over there, folks. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Now let's see what the team has come up with. They said we've got a lot of questions to get through. Here's one from Texas, a gentleman named Rick. Something about hunting. Ron, I read a Vin Sperano article about his son and grandson. Uh, I'm 63 years old and I had more time now to enjoy hunting. Now, a little explanation. Vin Sperano was a longtime editor at Outdoor Life magazine. I used to work with him back in the day. And he has been sending me some of his old articles. He's a prolific writer. 
and we just thought we'd recycle some things. So he's given us a whole bunch of fun articles, uh, everything from hunting and big game to birds to fishing and lots of adventures. We put them up on our blog on Ron Spomer Outdoors, so you can uh, jump in there and read them for free. <laughs> now let's get back to Rick. Rick says, I am disheartened by what I see and read about many things that involve efficient killing, in quotes. The best optic, the best caliber, the best shooting stick, the best rifle, etc. While I appreciate this information, hunting should be presented as a cultural tradition. In this age, few of us need to hunt to survive, and the hunting experience should be presented as one of reverence for our ancestors and for the game that provides us the opportunity. I would like to see you present and emphasize more on the topic of ethical hunting, effective harvesting, less wounding game, less gambling on poor shot choices, and etc. More on camaraderie and respect for the great outdoors. I appreciate you and all the work you do. Regards, Rick. Well, that is some good advice, Rick, and I will try to do that. But you have to remember that it's just sort of the natural thing for us to all be concerned about gear. I don't know if it's just our culture or if it's innate in humans, but as tool makers, we are always interested in tools. And I think these days it's it's more of an issue than ever before because there are fewer opportunities for young folks to get a field and actually hunt. You know, back even in my day, which is quite a while ago, but not that long ago, we were able to just wander out of town and go explore in the ditches and fields and woods and prairies and whatever we had out there. So we were hunting from a tender age in our imaginations and, and in reality with sticks and stones and pretty much the way humans have done for the last how many million years? I don't know. Um, but gosh, you look at suburbs and cities these days where most of our population lives and how are these young people going to get out there to get that basic instruction to get their hands in the dirt and the mud and catch tadpoles and frogs and all those things that country kids grew up doing for generations it's just so much tougher these days and then you've got of course all the internet stuff and the computer games and kids have got their faces buried in these screens all the time so they don't get that rich tradition of outdoors and they're not brought into the field. So when you start them hunting as grandfathers and fathers and mothers and grandmothers often do, it's kind of a foreign experience for them because they just haven't grown up feeling comfortable in the outdoors. So if you write articles or do blogs and videos on the tradition of hunting and the reverence that we have for it and all the things you mentioned, which are wonderfully important, you just don't get much of an audience because these kids are so geared up for the latest equipment and gear. They want the fancy rifle and the fancy scope and the range finders and the wind meters and all this technical stuff because they've grown up tech oriented, I guess. And it's not a bad way to get them involved. I think what happens if they do play around with all the high-tech gear, it inspires them to want to hunt and finally get out there. It, and it's not easy. You got to think about how does some kid who grew up in the suburbs get out to a place where he can hunt? So the incentive to do it because he's got all this equipment and he wants to try it at least gives him that nudge and that push. And then once he begins to hunt, I think he will either slowly or fairly quickly, I hope quickly, start to realize the real adventure is in the hunt itself, the interaction with nature and proving yourself as a 
sort of a natural predator, which is, I think, what nature made us to be. Using our tool-making skills and in our triangulated binocular vision, our color vision and our sight, sense, and smells and tracking ability and just all the things that make the human animal effective at finding and taking game, those all start to come out and they realize, I really don't need a, a rifle that requires turret dialing of my scope to target game at a thousand yards. I need to get on the ground and, and track and read sign and find this game and, and get that vibration that we all feel when we're close to wildlife, that buck fever that comes over us. Once they get that in their system, I think they're hooked. So good points. And I will try to continue and maybe even increase mentioning things like this, uh, Rick. But I think you do have to realize that most people tune in for good hardcore information on tools and gear and techniques and all that other stuff. And if you start preaching a little bit too much about ethics and proper hunting techniques and all this stuff, you start to lose your audience. And we certainly don't want to do that. I don't know. Maybe I'm off base here. So what do you guys think? Um, I'm more than happy to cover more of that stuff, but I think I always consider it a spoonful of medicine with a bunch of sugar. People come for their sugar and when they're indulged in it, you can slip in a little bit of medicine and gradually win them over. But hardcore medicine, one dose after the next doesn't go over very well. Now, something I just thought of um, that does touch on the, the tradition of hunting has been fairly popular. A recent video we released of a deer hunt I did last year in South Dakota with my good old friend, George. And uh, this is the second time I've done a hunt video with George on a deer hunt in South Dakota. And a lot of people responded that they really found it to be sort of the essence of what deer hunting is without a lot of hype, without a lot of equipment and gear stuff and teaching techniques. It's just a simple explanation of the hunt and how it went down, a mixture of still photos and video. So you might want to check that out. I don't even remember the title of it, something about deer hunting in South Dakota, a fairly recent video on Ron Spomer Outdoors. So you might want to check that out. All right, who's next here? Somebody from Nevada, Randall. Did the Remington Psalm cartridge have the same obstacles concerning patents as the Winchester WSSM cartridges. Ooh, that is a good one. And oddly enough, it did not. And I think it was because Winchester sort of plowed the way on this one. Uh, the individual, Rick Jamison, who created the short fat magnums that became the WSMs, actually took those to Winchester. And he was trying to deal with them to make them the Winchester Jamesons, or maybe used his name in the cartridge. And Winchester was dealing with him and trying to come up with some kind of an agreement whereby they would pay him a flat fee or royalties or something. But I don't know, somehow that all fell apart and Winchester ended up coming out with a cartridge that was very similar to his design, maybe even identical. I'm not sure. But that brought on a court case and that brought on pretty much the discontinuance of pushing those WSM cartridges. They're still out there, obviously. You can still find rifles chambered for them, but I think each time they make one, they have to pay a little extra money uh, to Mr. Jameson for patent infringement or copyright infringement or something like that. And that has slowed things down. But interestingly, as you mentioned, the Psalm cartridges, which were sort of Remington's response to the same thing, the short fat, and they came out just... Uh, weeks or days behind the Winchesters. And gosh, they're, they're the same concept. And why not? And then look at what we've got today, the 6.5 PRC and a lot of these new long range, long bullet, high BC things. 
uh, that's all pretty similar stuff. So I'm not exactly sure how all this works in. I do know that Mr. Jameson had gotten himself a patent on certain design characteristics of these cartridges. And it just strikes me that a lot of what you're mentioning here, the Psalm cartridges, would fit within that. So I don't know. Maybe he's satisfied with the, the lawsuit the way it came down and doesn't want to mess around with it anymore. Don't know for sure, but that was a good question. All right, let's jump up to Washington State and see what Kellen has to ask us. Hey, Ron, I was just curious about your thoughts on taking a 50 BMG case. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> Necking it down to 338 and shortening the case length to 300 WSM. Oh, my gosh. So that it would fit in a short action, essentially making it a 300 WSM on steroids for big game and also make the velocities come with these super magnums. <laughs> well, Kellen, you know, I think several people have fooled around with that and even wilder ideas. You know, they came out with one. I'm pretty sure they had shortened it and necked it down to 22 caliber. <laughs> I don't know that they ever fired it, but uh, <laughs> you, you've got diminishing returns on this. A huge powder supply pushing a fairly narrow bullet just doesn't work out all that well. It's, it's just overkill. And you get incredible, crazy pressures, and you can imagine how quickly the throats would burn out in the barrel, and there's issues with it. Now, the 338's not too bad. You're getting up there in, in size to a reasonable bore size, um, so depending on how short you made it. But think about the fat case on that 50 BMG, and then shortening it. You're going to end up with a case that's probably as wide as it is long. <laughs> And it's not going to fit in very many actions. You're going to need a huge, beefy action for that thing. So, yeah, that's kind of the 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 source of of dreams of of well, I've called them uh, backyard uh, Frankenstein monster scientists working in the lab. It was late at the night. I was working in the lab, and I created a monster, <laughs> the three thirty eight fifty PMG. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome to play around with that if you want, but do be careful because uh, you could lose some fingers. All right, Richard from Kentucky. What is your take on the Ruger American Ranch bold action rifle in 7.62 by 39 for short range deer hunting? I use it for deer and coyote hunting on my property. The cartridge I use is usually Hornady Black SSRT rounds, but lately I can't find any. So part two of your question is, are there any other ammunition or cartridges that you would recommend? Thanks for your answer, and I look forward to hearing from you on your podcast. Bingo, here we are. You made it, Richard, on the podcast. And I am afraid I don't have great answers for you. I do not fool around with the 762 by 39 Russian cartridge, um, but it is a good short-range deer cartridge. It's better than the 3030. Uh, not doesn't launch quite as fast but it uses sharply tipped bullets. You have a higher BC, so you retain more energy downrange and it shoots flatter. So at longer ranges, it's more effective than the 3030. I think they're usually shooting 130 grain bullets in it versus 150 in the 3030. But once again, it's a, a little bit um, more efficient bullet. So you're going to do well out, I would guess, 200 yards with that, maybe even a little farther. Um, but whether or not you can, what bullets and cartridges are out there, because I don't pay that much attention to it, I really don't know. But it seems to me that there are many. It's such a popular cartridge. And there's so many of them around. But most of the time, I think you're looking at surplus military ammo and or FMJ bullets in it, because a lot of people are using it in the AK-47s and plinking more than hunting. But there are good hunting loads out there. 
you're just going to look for, I think, pretty much a traditional cup core bullet. The velocity is not all that high. And when you have low velocity launch speeds, uh, you've got obviously lower velocity impact speeds. And that means those fairly soft, frangible bullets are going to expand nicely without breaking apart. You just don't have excessive energy in those bullets like you would get with a Magnum. So you should do fine with almost almost anything out there. That's your standard lead core, uh, thinly jacketed or medium thickness of a jacketed bullet. Uh, but you could also try some of the the hollow points, the copper hollow points. Some of them now are opening up really, really well. Some of them even extreme uh, and easily. At I've seen some that are advertising impact velocities of 1,500 feet per second, and they open. So you might want to look into some of those. You're going to have to do some research. Sorry, I don't have an absolute quick answer for you. Out of Virginia comes Adam asking us about firearms. He says, hello, Ron. Thanks so much for taking the time to answer my questions. I'm an RSO member, and I enjoy your podcasts and videos, especially about rifles and cartridges. Well, thanks. Appreciate that, Adam. Let's see what you need here. My father back in 2006 lost vision in his right eye due to health issues. Being right-handed and hard-headed, <laughs> he thought his hunting days were over. He didn't think he could learn to shoot proficiently enough as a lefty. After some thought, trial, and error, I came up with a solution. Mm, this should be good. He uses a Marlin 336 3030 for hunting. I removed the uh, rifle's medium scope rings, and instead I added see-through rings. By canting the scope about 90 degrees, he could shoulder the rifle right-handed and aim through the scope with his left eye. This setup seems to work, and he has taken several deer using this method. Well, that's pretty clever. Huh. My questions are the following. Have you ever heard of this method being used before? And does the rifle barrel actually know what up is? <laughs> I know we shooters and hunters try our best to level our scopes on our rifles, but does it really matter if the scope is not exactly straight and level on the rifle? Thanks again. Please keep up the good work. I'll be watching and listening. Okay, Adam, see if I can come up with the right answer here for you. Yeah, you're making some good points about the scope and being canted and removed off the bore and all this stuff. Obviously, your scope is sitting above the bore normally. You're looking pretty much right down the barrel, but you're an inch and a half to two inches higher, depending on how big your scope is and how high your mounts are and all that stuff. Um, does it matter if it's off to the side? Yes, for longer range shooting. For close range stuff, say out to about 200 yards, not a big deal. But the way we work rifles at distance is that we can't the rifle barrel up in relation to our line of sight. So your scope is set up to aim right at your target the barrel of your rifle is very slightly angled up so that it rises. The bullet's not actually rising. You're just shooting it at an upward angle. And it crosses your line of sight at about 25 to 30 yards and continues above it a little bit as it's doing its trajectory arc downrange to hit your target. And that's why it's important to have things lined up. Move that scope off to the side and your bullet's still going to climb up, but it's going to be off to the right if your scope's off to the left, and then it's going to drop, and it's not going to match up perfectly. You're always going to be off to the right, and that distance isn't going to be made up unless you're adjusting your sight so that you're shooting too far to the left to start with. Um, but you really don't have to fool with it. You're going to be an inch and a half off or something, whatever your distance is that your scope is off. The real concern is angling your, your, your reticle in the scope, regardless where you have it. If you've got your scope in a traditional position, but you've mounted it so that the crosshair is crooked. It's got a cant to it. 
you do lose accuracy or pinpoint precision downrange because when your bullet is now falling, it's no longer falling straight down through its traditional arc or your sight plane. Your sight plane has been moved over so that the bullet is different from when your, your crosshair is at an angle, that vert vertical line of your crosshair. Your bullet is not following that anymore. So it's falling here, whereas the scope is suggesting you hold over here, and then you've, you've got it aimed over. Play around with it with your scope, watch things, and you'll figure that out. But it is a concern for longer-range shooting. But it looks like with the system that you worked up for that 3030 is, is perfect. And uh, again, 3030, you're probably shooting inside of 150 yards, probably even 100 yards. And I'm glad you came up with that solution for your pops. So he's out there enjoying his annual. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Deer hunt. That is wonderful. All right, Paul out of Texas. Ron, what are the most effective bullet types for larger North American games such as elk and moose? Whoo, that's a broad question. What else have you got here? Most of us don't know the difference between A-frames, bonded, partition, and all the other types of hunting bullets. Thank you. Well, that's a good point. Paul, I agree with you. Most hunters don't seem to know a lot about bullets. We're always doting on cartridges and arguing which one's better than the other when, as we said so many times here, it's the bullet that's important. It's the bullet that's doing all of the work. The rifle, the scope, the cartridge, those are just parts of the launch platform. The rocket is the bullet. The bomb is the bullet. That's what has to get downrange and take your animal. So we need to pay more attention to bullets. And I think these days we are. You know, back in the mid-20th century, we began to start paying attention to them. In the eight, what, 1948, John Nosler came up with the improved bullet, which was a partition. This was really kind of the first improved bullet over the standard cup and cores, we call them, where you just take a gilding metal tube called the jacket, and you shove a lead rod inside of it, snip it off, squeeze it into a bullet shape, bingo. Well, what happens is the lead deforms when it strikes something, and the jacket starts to break up because gilding metal is fairly frangible and a little bit easily broken up, not all that malleable, so things will come apart. And then you have issues with big animals, as you suggest, and your bullet comes apart, you don't get the penetration, you need to reach the vitals. So they came up with solutions. And there are all kinds of them. One is, of course, the all copper bullet. There's nothing to lose. There's no jacket to come apart from a soft lead core. There's a hollow in the nose. Then the hydrostatic or hydraulic pressure gets in there and opens the pedals up. And they either break away or stay on to have a good open front that does a lot of tissue damage. Works really well. 
Uh, bonded bullets mean that there's a molecular bond. There is a welding between the lead core and the jacket, and that holds things together better. And you retain more weight and you get more penetration. So any of the bonded bullets would be along that line. And then there are partition walls. I mentioned the partition. That just means there's a wall of jacket material transversely through the bullet. So you've got the side walls holding it all together. Then in the middle solder, there's another wall that keeps the shank lead in while the nose lead gets torn up and flattened out and breaks up and everything else. Uh, but the back shank continues driving forward. So you get more penetration that way. And then there are variations in hybrids combining a lot of those things. So how do you find out about that all? Whew. Well, you can go to the different websites of the bullet manufacturers and look up what they tell you about how their bullet is made and how it's supposed to work. Or you could go to Ron Spomer Outdoors and look for my video on all about bullets. I have them sectioned. I have them expanded by hitting game. And uh, I, I just go through all those different categories and explain how they work and how they're put together. It's got bad sound. I did it long ago when I had bad equipment. Uh, so it's a little bit rough on the sound department, but the information in it is solid and folks seem to get a lot of good info out of that video. So you might want to look for it. Um, I'll, I can't remember the name of it, but just look at something like copper bullets compared to lead bullets or something like that. Do that search and it should pop up for you. And then you can not only hear me talk about these things, but see the close-ups of those bullets cut in half, showing how the construction comes together. And I think we're looking at about uh, the end of our rope here. And maybe we got enough time for another question or two. Richard from South Dakota, my old home state. I'm always happy to hear from folks from South Dakota. There aren't that many of them. It's not an overpopulated state. One of the reasons I think I love it. Lots of wildlife and not so many people. Ah, what does Richard have to say? I just joined Patreon after watching several of your videos. Well, thank you, Richard. Really appreciate that. Have you done any videos on the 308, 338 Marlins Express cartridges? Years ago, I had a sharp, straight stock Marlin 3030 that I wanted to upgrade to a 307 Winchester. However, I was disappointed that Marlin didn't produce any after they announced that they would when they introduced the 356 and the 375 Winchester in 1983. I eventually did get a Marlin in each of those, and I was about to have my 3030 rebarreled when the 308 Marlin Express came out. I bought one of those and I've been very happy with it. I really enjoy your knowledgeable presentations. Thanks. Um, Rich, the 308 338 Marlin Express cartridges, I think were a good idea. They don't seem to have taken off and I don't think you're going to see much of them in the future. You know, it was another one of these attempts, like what you mentioned with the 307 Winchester and the 356, another attempt to get more performance out of your lever actions. But the problem again with these lever actions, it's always that the cartridge can be wonderful and powerful and everything else, but your bullets are going to have those rounded or flat noses. They're going to not have a high ballistics coefficient and they're going to lose energy downrange That's because of those tubular magazines. So Hornady came up with that rubber flex tip bullet that solved a lot of that. But they're still fairly stodgy bullets. You don't get a huge increase. But yeah, I, I should probably do a feature on those and explain all of this in detail. So thanks for that idea. We'll see if we can't get around to it. Now it looks like we are definitely up against the wall here on our program. So I am going to stop with these questions and invite you folks to straighten me out on anything I got wrong so we can come up with those next time. 
and send in your questions. We've still got a big pile of backlog here we're going to be working on, but as soon as we can get to the new ones, we will. And until that happens, stay tuned for uh, two a week now, two Patreon or two uh, podcasts a week. And um, we'll see if we can't get caught up. And if you guys are responding and want to see that many a week, we'll continue to crank them out. So until next time, this is Ron Spomer on Honest and Shoot Straight. Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.